But in reality, we always have to step backwards when we talk about the resurrection because the light of the resurrection shines brightest when it's contrasted with the darkness of the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. Each of the Gospels tells us keys to that puzzle. The women saw the tomb, and they saw not somebody, but they saw his body was laid in it. The stone was rolled in front, and it seemed in many, many ways that the enemy had won. The Jewish leaders went, and the soldiers made, quote-unquote, made the tomb secure by sealing the stone in front of it and placing that guard there. And in many ways, you can kind of see the Jewish leadership kind of sitting back and saying, we've done it. There's no way anything bad can happen here. And the minute that they did that, I wonder if a memory from the Old Testament, from their, their Torah, came to them. Whether it was the story of Joshua and the people walking around the city and shouting, what city of Jericho, and shouting and the walls all falling down. They had to have had a little bit of thought. It really doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how many soldiers we put there. It doesn't matter how the thick the seal is. If God's going to do something, we can't stand in His way. I don't know if they thought that but they probably should have. But for that moment, it looked like the enemy had won, that darkness would have the day. And Friday night closed, and Saturday, the Sabbath, which was always kind of, always considered a blessing. It was a gift from God, a gift of not only rest from your work, but a gift of a reminder of God's role in our lives and how we can depend on Him and how He is faithful to care for us. But I have a feeling that that Sabbath was anything but restful for His followers. It was anything but peaceful, probably for most of the people in Jerusalem because there had been so much chaos in the days that led up to it. So much that was to be thought back on and, and pondered about. Wait a minute, we shouted Hosanna a week before and then we shouted crucify him. Something tells me that as Friday night gave way to Saturday and as Saturday unfolded and the darkness of Saturday night came upon them, they had to wonder, what have we done? But see, the morning breaks, doesn't it? We are here assembled and we are hearing this message and we are celebrating Jesus because we know that the morning breaks and we are called, each of the Gospels calls us to join Jesus' followers by standing inside that empty tomb and looking what God has done. Not only what He has done in the past, but in reality the implication of what He's doing on this very day and what we believe He will do in the future, when all tombs of those who love the Lord, who put their trust in Jesus, will also be found empty. It was a dark kind of place. No matter, no matter how the sun was shining, you, if you get inside a cave, unless it's just that one little moment where the sun kind of peeks through, it's dark in there, but it's powerful the way that in that darkness, God illuminated their lives because that tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away so that they could see what God had done. And they could begin the process of celebrating and sharing the good news of 
Jesus had been raised. Each of the Gospels gives us a, a slightly different picture. It's a powerful thing the way they, the Gospel writers choose particular emphases as this story, as the whole story unfolds, but particularly as this unfolds. And sometimes it's important for us to just read one Gospel and, and kind of see what it has to say. But this morning we're going we're gonna to look at all of them because there's so much in common that they all have. And particularly today, I want you to see how each of the Gospels invites us to come and stand in the empty tomb. Matthew says that an angel of the Lord said to the women, I know that you are looking for Jesus. In fact, the text will say, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Not just any Jesus, a particular Jesus. Who was crucified. This is the one who hung on the cross. This is the one who's been dead. He is not here. He is risen. And then that invitation. Hear the invitation? It's an invitation for us. Come and see. Not come and see his body. Not come and see the decay that's already happened. Not come and see this sacrifice who, who can't overcome death. But come and see the empty place where he lay. Mark's gospel also invites us. Then as Mary and the other women went into the tomb, again, into the tomb, they saw a young man in white. Now, Luke's gospel will say that the white that they have on is so white that it gleams. And maybe that's why it wasn't dark and they could really see what was going on there. But they saw a young man in white. And he says to them, again, you are looking for Jesus. And not just any Jesus, but the one who was crucified. Again, that great message. You're standing in an empty tomb because he has been raised. He is not here. Luke's gospel will continue with that same kind of thing and ask us all a particular question. The women went in and did not find the body. I think you have to be a little bit... You, we, we read the story so many times that, that we can't hear the expectation. They walked in with the expectation that there would be a body there to anoint. There would be a body there to mourn over. There would be a body even there to a certain extent to bless. The way Jesus was anointed at Bethany before the cross, they were there to bless him by anointing and preparing his body. But they did not find the body. And the, and the angel asked, Why? Why are you looking here? Why are you looking for the one who is living, for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has been raised. And the angel will go on and say, Didn't you hear him say? that he would be delivered up to the Jewish leadership and that the Gentiles would kill him, would crucify him, and that he would be in the grave, be buried in that grave, but only temporarily. Jesus would over and over say, only three days, you need to expect something new to happen. Why do you look? And we have to ask that same question. Now, join me now in reading John's invitation. From chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the tomb, the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, Again, this, you hear, can you hear the panic in her voice? You've, you've, you've had that panic before. This is exactly where I left my child in the store and they're not there. This is exactly where I put my keys in my cell phone and they're not there. You know that panic. 
This is another level of panic. She said, and they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in. And again, you have to see that there's enough light, even in this early morning. He looked in and saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. That cloth was folded up by itself and separate from the linen, all witnesses to how powerful what was going on. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. Then don't, like, don't you like this statement? He saw. He saw and believed. You see, that's the call, isn't it? He saw and believed. And, and in seeing, we're not just talking about he, he believes his eyes. In reality, I think there's a certain extent to which all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said and all that he told them kind of came to some sort of fruition, some sort of completion. He saw. Jesus said he would rise. Jesus said he would be raised. And here is the empty tomb. Here is the evidence. Here is the cloth that he was wrapped on. No longer with the body in it. Here is the head covering, that special piece of cloth that you use to cover the head. Here it is, and it's folded up and set aside. This wasn't a struggle. This wasn't a fight. This was a recreation. And just as God spoke at the very beginning of the world and said, darkness, you've got to get out of the way because here comes light. God spoke to death and said, you've got to get out of the way because he is coming back. Folds it up, lets aside. He saw and he believed. Now, all the pieces didn't come together. Uh, the next line in John's gospel is that they were confused about the prophecies. They were confused about those things. But for John, he didn't have to know all the details. Because John wasn't saying, what have they done with his body? Where did they take him? We can't find him. John believed everything had changed. John was being transformed because he was standing, not in Jesus' tomb. He was standing in the empty tomb. We can join him in that kind of transformation. We, too, are called to be transformed by standing in the empty tomb. It can transform all of our life. And the invitation today for you is to kind of look at these different elements and ways God wants us to be transformed and think about the way the empty tomb and the resurrection, the fact that Jesus today is alive and well and at the right hand of God, changes the way we look at all our life. Let me mention these four. First of all, we are transformed it's by standing in the empty tomb in our relationships, our marriages, and in our families, all of them. These are kind of the place that we sometimes get stuck in our lives. They are the most familiar thing. They are the thing that is nearest to us so often. And we can begin, become people, no matter how good your marriage or your family is, we can get stuck in becoming people who hold on to grudges. 
We get to stuck in being people who kind of look back at negative things that occur. And so often we're people who are, are now, if they really loved me, they'd apologize to me. But when we stand in the empty tomb, we don't want to hold on to any grudges anymore. We want to let that go. We don't want to wait for apologies. We want to forgive the way Jesus forgave us. The way Jesus made peace in our lives. We want to forgive before any apology ever comes. Secondly, standing in the empty tomb, we transform the way we look at our limitations and our struggles. Has anybody thought I'm not good enough? Has anybody ever thought that? It's kind of a regular thing with, with me. We see maybe what little we can do and we think, oh goodness, God, you could be so much better served if there was more. Or we struggle with things and we think, how could God use somebody like me? But in reality, when we stand in the empty tomb, we realize that the one who raised Jesus is greater than any of our limitations in any of our struggles. He can do it with you if you will give your life and trust as John said, if you see the empty tomb and you believe, you trust God. And those limitations aren't the last word. The greater one, the God who raised Jesus, is the last word. And we're no longer struggling with those limitations. Number three, sadness and mourning is a part of this life. Always has been. And we're tempted to say always will be, but what we know is that there's a day coming when the sadness and mourning will be no more for those who know Jesus. There's a, a fear. There's a fear that goes along with sadness. There's a fear that, that I'm out of control. I can't, I can't do the things that I want to do. There's a fear because we've lost someone and we're mourning that separation. But that fear, that sadness, that mourning will never be the last word with God. Yes, it is human to mourn. And, and Jesus mourned. God said it's real to be sad. The Psalms are full of the proclamations of the sad. But what God also wants us to know is that when we stand in the empty tomb, we realize that the sadness in the morning is not the last word. Church, say amen, please. Finally, our sinfulness has to be transformed by standing in the empty tomb. My sinfulness, your sinfulness, the brokenness of the whole world can be transformed transformed when we stand in the empty tomb. In the same way, the sadness and mourning don't have the last word with Jesus, and because of his resurrection, my sinfulness does not have the last word. In fact, God's last word on my sinfulness is forgiven, is whole and healed. It is that your sin, now that it's forgiven, can actually fit you for even greater work in the kingdom because you now have a testimony to tell everyone that you encounter See what God can do. When we read the text of the New Testament, we recognize that, that what, what the text points us to, when we, when we recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness, 
When we recognize that and we say, I want, I want Jesus. Jesus is offering me for forgiveness. How do I respond? How do I put my trust in the empty tomb? How do I put my trust in the resurrection? And the text always points us back to trusting Jesus is about putting him on in baptism. Baptism, Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 6, is this powerful symbol where the individual Christian decides in the same way that Jesus decided in the garden, said, yes, your will, I am going to go to the cross and lay my life down. Baptism is where the individual person, the broken person, the sinful person, chooses to say, I want that person to die, and we go down into the waters of baptism, but that is not the end of the baptism. Because in addition to the death and the burial, we reenact the resurrection. We reenact the resurrection, and when that person comes up out of the water, they stand in the empty tomb. It was suggested to me just this morning that I might mention to you that no matter where you are, there's probably a pool, or maybe you've got a big enough bathtub. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter who's doing it. There's the opportunity to say, God, I trust you, and I'm going to put my life in your hands, and I'm going to go under those waters, and I'm going to come back up. I would suggest that there is great power in doing that in the community of faith. But it's not dependent on being with the community of faith. Because the one that's acting is not you. The one that acts in our forgiveness, in our being raised to new life, is the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. So this is our new posture in life. Wherever life may take us and whatever we're involved in, how different does COVID-19 look when we stand in the empty tomb? It will not have the last word. If it took every person on the earth, God is still coming. And we are thankful. It changes the way we look at everything. It's our new posture in life. And if our life, that new posture in life, is centered on Jesus, then that is the new place. The place not like on Thursday when Jesus offered the supper, the supper to the disciples before his death, burial, and resurrection, but we stand on the other side. So this is the place that we now view the bread that he says the bread that is broken to represent his body. And it is the view that we have of the cup. The cup that is his blood. It represents his blood. He said, when you take them, I want you to remember me. But see, that's not just a remembering backwards. That's not just about what happened before the resurrection. It's not just past. The remember me is about standing in the empty tomb and recognizing the reality of the sacrifice that took place in the cross, but also recognizing the equal reality of new life through Christ because of an empty tomb. It's part of our present. And as we take the bread and the cup, we say that I'm not just trusting you for what happened then, I'm trusting you for what 
is now, and maybe even more, I'm putting all of my heart, all of my life, all that I am, and trusting what is to come. That someday, your empty tomb will be my empty tomb. I invite you to come and celebrate in this great supper. Lay your burden down, every care you carry, and come to the table of grace, for there is mercy. Come just as you are, we are all unworthy to enter the presence of God. Every first day of the week, we take this time to, to remember Jesus and his being made flesh to live among us as a human so that he could live a perfect life and then die for us um, as a cleanser of our sins. This is a special day when the world is remembering the resurrection of Christ because without the resurrection of Christ, there's there's no point to all of this that we do. So this is the key part of our, of our belief, of our salvation, is, is what we're thinking about when we, when we take this Lord's Supper. Bow with me now as we um, take this unleavened bread. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity of salvation the chance to live eternal life and the, and the grace that you've bestowed on us so that we could, we could spend eternity with you even though on, on earth we are, we're sinful people. We thank you for the body of Christ. And Christ was made flesh and, and human so that he could, he could be tempted and could defeat sin and defeat death so that the rest of us could, could live eternally. Be with us now as we take of this unleavened bread in remembrance of that body, that, that flesh, and help us to remember what it stands for. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's continue giving thanks. Lord, we are thankful for the remission of our sins and the ultimate sacrifice that your son paid so that, that we could be cleansed. Be with us now as we take this uh, fruit of the vine in remembrance of his blood that was spilled on the cross after hours and hours of torture and pain. And in the end, um, you forsook your own son so that, so that you could save us. And we are so grateful for that. And we know that we could never deserve it. But instead, we, we benefit from your love and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lift up your heart, lift up your hands, on your knees and pray, for the King of kings and the love he brings is here in this place. We raise our voices, raise our song, offer him our praise, for the Good morning. I would like to word a special prayer at this time. I've got a few prayer requests. Um, the first of all is um, Sandy Moore has been struggling this week or so with uh, kidney stones. Um, we'd like to be able to lift her up and uh, some of us know what that's like and there's a lot of discomfort and pain and um, so we'll be uh, lifting Sandy Moore up with her kidney stones. This week we'd like to lift up Alan Barger and his family. Uh, Alan's grandmother passed away this week. She was on uh, hospice care and uh, we know um, that with travel restrictions and that sort of thing not everyone can make it to the make it to the service so we'll be sure to be lifting up Alan and his family at this time. Tomorrow Vicky Wonderlich starts uh, chemo treatment. Uh, this will be a 10-week process um, She's going to be in Dallas for this time, um, and so we're going to be lifting Vicky Wonderlick up, and we certainly hope that um, the doctors and the those who are taking care of her will certainly uh, do their best. Um, and we know that 
the Lord is going to be a part of this process as well. We're going to uh, continue our prayers with uh, Jesus Haro. Um, his, his treatment is going better. He's doing much, um, much better with the uh, care that he's been receiving. Uh, we continue prayers of healing. We want to lift up those who are struggling uh, with the sickness of COVID-19. Uh, we lift up those who are uh, looking after them. We lift up the doctors and the nurses and all those who are in uh, the medical uh, profession. This week we also want to say a special prayer for those who are um, working in the uh, grocery stores. We want to lift up our uh, grocery store workers, those who are keeping the shelves clean and filled. Uh, we lift up those who are cleaning our carts um, and getting supplies to us from around the country. I'm going to leave a time of silence so we can uh, take our time to pray for those who are on our hearts and on our minds, uh, something perhaps a little more private that you haven't uh, been able to share with the church at this time. So let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Father, we want to lift up to you these people that we've mentioned. I want to lift up to you, Father, uh, Sandy Moore, who's having um, a time with kidney stones. Um, Father, I just pray that you give her the comfort that she needs and uh, let them pass quickly. Father, for uh, Alan Barger and his family, uh, we lift up the, the whole family as his grandmother passed away and was on hospice. Father, we thank you for those who took care of her. We thank you, for, Father, for uh, the life that was well lived. We bring her into your presence and we ask, Father, that you just bless her and um, comfort those who are mourning at this time. Father, we again lift up to you Vicki Wonderlich. We praise you that she's able to start her chemo um, and we just pray that you give her the strength, give her the comfort, give her your power to get through each of these 10 weeks. Um, as each treatment uh, progresses, we just ask that you uh, clear this cancer out of her and uh, bring her back to full health. Father, we thank you for looking after Jesus Haro. We thank you for uh, blessing him with um, continually t feeling better. Uh, we ask that you watch over him and those looking after him. Father, for those who are looking for treatment, those who are looking after um, sick, those who are in the medical profession, we lift them up to you and we just thank you for their skills, for their uh, training, and for the uh, advancement of uh, medication and care. And we lift them up and we just ask that you continue to bless them with the uh, knowledge that is right for the individuals. Father, we, we lift up before you all those who work in the grocery store, from the uh, from management to uh, those who are filling the shelves and everything in between. Father, I want to thank you for those who are cleaning our carts. Thank you, Father, for those who are uh, getting our supplies to us. Um, these are the unsung heroes of this country at this time. Father, I lift them up to you, and I just pray, Father, that you bless those who are working in all departments of every store. Father, we, we come before you now. We want to give a moment so that each of us can give our personal prayer request to you and our personal praises.
We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Lord, we lift up these things that have been on our hearts and our minds. We ask that you bless this congregation as we meet from various places. We thank you that you've given us the technology to be able to meet together over the internet and uh, get to worship you and praise you, no matter how far apart we may be. We are together one in, in one spirit, and we thank you for that, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story is told in all of the Gospels, uh, except John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Luke chapter 5 is where you can find it particularly, of a paralytic, and he can't get to Jesus, and his friends open the roof and drop him in. And, and Luke, the way Luke tells it is when, they, when he sees all this effort, he says, your faith, your faith has healed you. Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees don't like that Jesus said that, and, and they say, How, you, you can't do that, that's only God, that's blasphemy. And in this unique way, Jesus takes that moment and captures something that I think is part of what we are today, where we are today. Do you really believe that Jesus can forgive sins? Do you really believe that Jesus can bring wholeness to your life? Do you really believe that if you'll stand there in the empty tomb, things can be different for you? So it's the same word that he gave to the Pharisees. Which is easier? Which is easier, to say that your life can be made whole or to take a dead person and bring them back to life? Jesus says, which is easier? And they know what's easier is to say sins are forgiven. And what's hard is to make him get up and walk. And you know, what we know from Luke 5, from the Gospels, is that that's exactly what he did. He took up his mat and he walked home. I hope that you will respond to this invitation, not by taking up a mat, but by leaving behind your sins and saying, I want to walk with Jesus because he can get it done. I ask you, wherever you are, to stand and respond to this invitation today.